Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. One of the things that I love most about having multiple congregations that we we serve, I serve as a pastor, is the relationships, you know. And so if we hadn't done this, I wouldn't know so many of you. And if we hadn't planted the church in South Carolina, there's whole families that, that I know and, and uh, you know, walked life through them. And, and now it's happening in London, England and, and downtown uh, Kalamazoo and Vine. And so it's an, it's just a, I just, it is the family of God. You know, and it's exciting. Well, today we're speaking about family, and particularly happy family. And our, the whole series this month, and we have some invites. You can hand these out to your neighbors if you'd like. Uh, everybody wants a happy family, right? That's, everybody desires their family to be happy. But often there are obstacles that come in the way of achieving happiness in our family. There's challenges. And it's a big part of life. And so we're taking the whole month of November to talk about biblical principles and ideas that help shape or help promote happy family. Uh, and uh, the first thing that we need to ask ourselves uh, concerning this, you know, if we want a happy family is, well, what does happy mean? You know, what makes you happy? And just think for a minute. What makes you happy? If you were stranded on a deserted island, what would you want with you, right? Uh, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this, and possibly one of the problems we have of not attaining uh, full happiness is that we don't really think about it. We just go through life. We want to be happy, and we keep trying different things. Often we cycle through one thing or another, seeking happiness, but not attaining it. I'm actually going to tell you what makes you happy today. <laughs> All right. And if that sounds audacious, which it, it should, uh, the, the facts are that many of us don't know what makes us happy or we've forgotten. And we end up living our whole lives uh, pursuing something that we can't quite attain because we haven't really figured it out. And if you think it's strange that I'm going to tell you what makes you happy, keep in mind that every day you're exposed to messages created by people that have never met you that are trying to tell you what makes you happy. That if you buy their product, you will be happy. If you drive this kind of car, you will be happy. If you use this kind of cell phone or this kind of computer or if you buy this kind of food at this restaurant, you know, you'll be happy. And so there's a constant barrage of messages about what will make you happy. And we're inundated with this constantly. And if we don't understand a deeper sense of what brings joy, what brings contentment, what brings happiness... We're just going to give in or we're going to be uh, inappropriately influenced by the messages that the world sends. And all of these people, their agenda is to sell product. Okay, and it's not there's nothing wrong with that. But the facts are you you can market temporary pleasure, but you cannot market happiness. Right. And so a thing, a meal going to a particular restaurant, buying a new car, 
can give you some pleasure, and there's nothing wrong with that. All right? God wants you to have good things. There's nothing wrong with getting a new phone or getting a new car and enjoying that. But it's really bad if you think that that's going to bring you happiness. That there's a difference between pleasure that's temporary, that's fixed or focused or a response of something, and happiness that endures throughout the trials of life. And so that's what we're really going to talk about. Happiness is found in who, not what. Okay? Happiness is found in a who, not a what. And that statement and about half of what I'm saying today in today's message are direct quotes from a guy called Andy Stanley. I don't know. Has anybody heard of Andy Stanley? Yeah, a few people. Great. You watched him yesterday. No kidding. Andy. Andy, Andy not the dad. Charles Stanley's been on, on TV for years. Andy's his son. Andy, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, is, they're both great. But Andy, I think, is probably the best communicator of the gospel, I, for me, uh, alive today. He's just really good at taking biblical truths and making them applicable. And so um, he, uh, we were already planning on preaching on happy family, and then he comes out with a series on being happy. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to steal you know, all this stuff. So I, literally, a lot of these are quotes. So happiness, <clears throat> oh, and so if you want to listen to his message, and I encourage that you do, they have a whole series on being happy. It's just, I think it was done a month or two ago. And it's excellent. You can go online uh, and listen to the podcast. I listen to them frequently. Andy Stanley, North Point Community Church. But if you just Google Andy Stanley sermons, you'll find him. All right. <clears throat> so it's it's with the right who's. Um, if we're with the right who's, the what's don't matter. Okay. If you're with with the right person or persons, if you're with the right group of people, whatever you have or whatever you're doing is secondary, right? And that's true whether you're a kid, whether you're in school, whether it's elementary school, high school, college, in a job situation, all through life, it's the who's, not the what's, that make you happy. And a few examples of this, right? So, you know, a backyard, if you're a kid, can be fun. But if you're in the backyard, day in and day out by yourself, it gets kind of boring, right? And so our kids play in the backyard, but when they had friends over, wow, it was completely different. We, it was years ago, we built a, a tree fort <clears throat> and for our boys. As our boys, uh, we didn't have one for the girls. The girls had a little uh, a fort, a like a cabin thing, that they, like a playhouse. And sure enough, uh, you know, they'd plan a little bit, but when their friends came over, they'd spend all day out there. And then for the boys, we built a tree house. And at first it was great. They would plan it all the time for the first few days, you know. And then after a week or two, you'd never see the boys up in the treehouse unless they had a friend come over. And then the friend come over, it was great. They'd play in the treehouse, they'd do all kinds of stuff, and then, you know, friend leaves, forget the treehouse, right? Because it's not the treehouse that made him happy. It was having, it was sharing that thing with a who. And uh, we upgraded it a few years ago because <clears throat> the boys were never in the treehouse. So I put in a zip line. Yeah, I don't know, 80 foot zip line. It was cool. And my son, he was a little guy then. <laughs> he's tall. He's six foot tall now. <laughs> but he was about that tall then. And the first time he went down that zip line, he 
His eyes were like that big. He was like, wow! And I'm like, all day long. They were going up and down the zip line. But after a few days, did you guys, you guys use the zip line ever? Um, they'd never use it unless a friend came over. And then, oh, let's go up the zip line. They'd play with it all day. You know, as long as their friend was over, they'd love it. Go up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, because the who was there. All right? And uh, this year they haven't used it at all. Because the other are too big. <laughs> they can reach up and grab it. But <laughs> uh, now uh, they're busy uh, with their who's wherever. It's wherever their friends are. That's where they want to be. And that's because it's the who that makes life happy, not the what. And the same thing in high school. If you can get in the right group of people, people that you like and people that like you, if you're in college, if you can find a group of people that connect with you relationally, you'll be happy. And if you can't, you won't be happy. All right? Because uh, happiness is connected with who. For me, uh, uh, you know, if I was on an island with the people, what would I want? I'd want the people I love. Right? And so my wife was there, my kid and family. If we had other people, no longer is it uh, uh, this horrible tragedy that we're standing on an island. It becomes paradise. Right? You know, it's like, wow, paradise island. If you were there with people you love, and, you, and it was a, especially if it was a tropical island with, you know, a lot of fresh water supply. <laughs> you never have to worry about the computer breaking <laughs> or the car breaking down. You know, it becomes paradise. And the opposite of that is, you know, what is the worst form of punishment? Solitary confinement. Solitary confinement. Why is that the worst form of punishment? Because we are designed to be in relationship. Right? So if, 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 if an aging what in your life, and whether that be a cell phone, a computer, a car, a tractor, a career... Anything, if that getting old deflates your happiness, you were never really happy. Okay, you were just marketed to. You maybe had some pleasure associated with that what, but it wasn't real happiness. For Kathy and I, it's traveling. A great example happened a few years ago. We spent a whole month in Florida in February. Brilliant idea. Okay, really, it was a great idea. And we had a campsite right on the ocean. So we were looking out on the ocean. And it was a great time. It really was a lot of fun. But the highlight of the whole month was the two days that we went down and visited some friends. And we spent time with a buddy from high school. And then the next day we spent time with a a pastor couple that we know from New York City who were also down in Florida for the winter. And those two days, even though we just sat on the beach and talked, just like we were doing at the campground, or, or went to a restaurant and talked with them, it it enriched the whole time. And now the memories of that month, mostly what we remember, are the times that we had with others. Because happiness is relational. All right. Your happiness is limited uh, by the happiness of those important to you because happiness is relational. That's the big, uh, the big message, the big uh, point here. Happiness is relational. And so, uh, your happiness is limited by the happiness of those most important to you. Some examples. If you're a parent, 
your happiness is going to be capped or limited by or significantly influenced by your most unhappy child. Right? And, and, and this isn't wrong. This just is. <laughs> okay? If you're a parent and one of your kids is going through a difficult season in their life, you can get to a point of joy or happiness in some experience you have, but then you'll be reminded of, oh, so-and-so's struggling through this. And it kind of it tethers your happiness. And I, I, what I'm saying here is that's okay because what's wrong is if you try to detach yourself and act as though that doesn't matter. It does matter because we're in life together. All right? Uh, <clears throat> if you're married, your happiness is significantly influenced by the happiness of your spouse. You can be having a really good day and everything's going great. And you open up the door when you get home and all of a sudden you realize your spouse ain't happy. <laughs> and if mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? <laughs> Why is that? Because happiness is relational. Now, the response to that is not to blame them and get mad at them for taking away your happiness. Okay? No. It's to understand, wait a minute, this is how we're created. And so for me to maintain and grow in happiness, I need to make sure that the people important to me are happy. And so whatever I can do to help my kids or help my siblings or help my spouse, the closer that person is in relationship to you, especially in the area of family, the more significant their, uh, uh, their happiness will influence your happiness. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and so our response then is to, is to accept this reality and work with it and bless others, live in a way that makes them happy because my happiness cannot be disconnected from the happiness of those that are important to me because happiness is, is, is relational. Ultimate fulfillment and joy in life is innately tied to who, not what. There's no object. There's no uh, uh, accomplishment. There's no uh, nothing in life that can substitute from friends or a spouse or children or grandchildren. Um, two weeks ago when I was in England, <clears throat> I was with a world-famous preacher. I happened to have dinner. I was seated at their table. I thought, oh, wow. It's just by accident that we ended up sitting there. And I was like, oh, here's this guy. I've listened to this guy for years. He's world-famous, written books, right? <clears throat> you know what he shows me? He doesn't show me his book and covers. He doesn't, or I'm with John or not, same thing happens. He doesn't, he doesn't show me how many meetings he's had. He doesn't talk about <clears throat> how many uh, people even got saved under his ministry. He pulls out his phone, and you know what he shows me? Grandkids. Grandkids. <laughs> this is crazy. Everywhere I go, partly it's because of our age, you know, because all of my friends have grandkids. And they whip out their, oh, you check out my phone. And they're going through like hundreds of pictures of a little baby. I'm like, yeah, it looks a beautiful baby. Oh, isn't that great? <laughs> And I know once I get a grandkid, I'll be doing the same thing. Why? Because happiness is relational. Yeah. You know, you just don't download pictures of babies off the internet and go, look at these all these cute kids. 
<laughs> Here's my kid, but I found this one on the internet. Isn't that even we get cuter? <laughs> You're not going to do that because happiness is relational. It's just part of who we are. You know, at the end of life, we don't struggle about uh, uh, possessional regrets. We struggle about relational regrets, right? And so, if a car broke down in your deathbed. You're not going to want to make peace with that car. It's like, who cares? It's a stupid car. But if a relationship breaks down, you feel it. You feel it to your grave. And that's the way it's, it's meant to be. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't overcome, because sometimes it's not up to you. The Bible says, in as much as it's up to you, live at peace with all men, with everyone. Be at peace as much as it's up to you. I understand that sometimes it's not up to you. There's two sides to it. And so, if someone's broken a relationship and it can't be restored, there is a part of you that will just endure regret. That caps your happiness. Doesn't mean you can't be happy or content, but it has an influence. And I'm saying that that influence is healthy because it motivates us to work toward restoration. Now, this is one of the points that Andy Stanley made that I thought was brilliant. And I I want to share this. Uh, Some people say, I don't need... Anyone to be happy. Yeah, what you're saying, pastor, is fine, but I don't need anybody to be happy. And in fact, there has been seasons in my life that I thought that. I may not have said those particular words, but I thought that. And um, there's really two types of people that say make that statement. All right? And the first type of people, uh, first of all, if you say it, you're probably a guy. Because <laughs> guys think that way. I don't need anybody to make me happy. You know, as long as I can hunt or I can, you know, do this, do that. In fact, I just want to be alone. Well, probably, and if you if you study this, it probably means that you've always had more than enough people in your life. All right. And so, if there if you've never experienced a, a season in your life where there wasn't anyone where you went in an extended time where there was nobody that you felt cared for you or nobody that you had a deep, intimate care for, right? You've just never experienced it. And the Bible says, this is, this is talking about food. It says in Proverbs, He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. So the Proverbs uses a simple illustration of food, something sweet like honey, which in in Bible times, that was like, that was as good as it gets, right? Uh, That was the best candy there was, was honey. And so if you're full, if you've just satiated with food, you're sweeted out. Somebody said, honey, I don't don't want anything like that. Why? Because you've had enough. But if you're really hungry, even something bitter will taste sweet. And so some of us think, I don't need anybody in life, in my life to make me happy. It's because you've, you've always had people. In fact, you may be just naturally popular. You may have a good family. There's just maybe in a community that's strong. And the hard thing for you is to have some time alone. Now, that's not wrong, but it's wrong and it's not true to think that you don't need those people to have happiness. Because that's a deception. The second group of people that fall into this uh, error of thinking that I don't need someone to make me happy are people who can't fix their isolation issues. 
In other words, maybe there's people around you, but you can't get connected because of issues in your heart, in your life, in your family background, in your, maybe your behavior. Maybe there's uh, addiction behavior or just maybe you get angry and you uh, constantly, what relationships you do have, you sabotage. And so you get to place <clears throat> or you've been abused, you've been in a, a, a brought up in a family where it's been abusive. And so you get uh, stuff in your spirit, in your mind, in your lifestyle that keeps you isolated. And you can't break through that. And if you can't get what you need, eventually people convince themselves that they don't need it or they don't want it. All right? And so you understand what I'm saying? If you can't get the deep relationships that you really need, you can't find happiness through relationship, you just draw back and you get in defensive mode and say, well, I just don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need anybody to make me happy. But that's not true. We were created for relationship. It's not true. It's not healthy. And it's not what you were created for. It's not what you were destined for. All right? And another, um, uh, and, and, and what happens is if you get in that place, whether it's because you're type a, 1 or type 2, and you think your happiness is not dependent on other people, um, then you, you, that just uh, causes you to sabotage healthy relationships. All right? And isolates yourself more. And, and something that makes it even worse is that you're robbing someone else of your love. Okay? Because you're a who too. Right? You may be someone else's who that they need to find happiness. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, everyone in this room is someone else's who that they need to be real in their life, right? Because you're important to someone, even if you haven't experienced it. And, and believing this and understanding this helps you prioritize those relationships so that you can be happy yourself, but so that also you can be the who for the other people in your life that need someone for their happiness. All right, <clears throat> so what makes you happy? Everybody say, no thing. All, right, all together? One, two, three. What makes you happy? No thing. Right? No thing. Now, not nothing, because other people, you can be happy, but no thing. It's not a what, it's a who. Now, let's get some Bible in here. Uh, and this is uh, Jesus uh, having a conversation with a lawyer. And this uh, lawyer asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now understand that this guy was a lawyer. And what that means in the Bible, is that he was an expert in all of the commandments that are written in the Old Testament. He had memorized every single one of them. He could explain exactly what they meant, how each person had to fulfill in the most precise detail every law in the Old Testament. All right? And they defined their faith and their experience with God based on how well they kept 
every one of the commandments of God. And, and, they, and generally, they saw the commandments as a list of things to do or things not to do. And so when this lawyer was asking Jesus this question, he's like, Rabbi, you, you're a teacher and you're influential here. And so I got a real important question. And a lawyer asks you a question. You should be a little concerned, right? <laughs> I don't like dealing with lawyers. <laughs> Any lawyers in the room? Lawyers and mayors, I tell you. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> so, so, right, here's this lawyer asking a question. And he knew all of the answers. And he was, te- actually, the Bible said he was testing Jesus because he wanted Jesus to say, well, this is the most important one. And Jesus pulls something on him. Jesus doesn't even say one of the top ten. All right, right? Remember the Ten Commandments? Those are pretty important, right? Which one of the Ten Commandments did Jesus say? He didn't actually quote one of the Ten Commandments. He quoted another scripture. He says, you're to love the Lord your God. The, the one word answer that Jesus said, and we don't have the exact uh, wording that was recorded. I'm sure that the conversation was more than the, the record that's in, in the, and what was written in the scripture is accurate and, and true. But, you know, it's a, it's a condensed version. <clears throat> well, Jesus said, the answer is love, buddy. Love. He's like, no, what, what, what do I have to do? Or what do I have to not do? And Jesus is like, man, you gotta love with your whole heart. You gotta love God with everything in you. And then you gotta love others. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. What? That's the most important? Yeah, Jesus said, on those two commandments, loving God and loving others, Hang all the law and the prophets. He said, everything in that book that you've memorized and studied and you're trying to get, it's all hanging on. It's all suspended by one thing. And that one thing is love. Love. It's about relationship. And that is because that's what brings us joy. That's what brings us peace. That's what brings us happiness. Paul states it in a very condensed but powerful way when he's writing to Timothy. He said the, um, the purpose of the commandment is love. Or in another translation, it says the end, the fulfillment, the end result of all of the things that God commands is love. Because right? all of those to-dos and all of those not-to-dos are not just rules that we're supposed to obey. They are be- the ways to behave so that we can have a relationship with others where love prospers, where we can actually enjoy one another. Right? Because uh, do you have a car? Right? You have a car? Right? So if I, if I, like, if I punched Lou, grabbed his keys, and stole his car... It'd be kind of hard for us to be buddies, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it would be. Come on. <laughs> right? So do not steal isn't just about don't stealing. It's about, listen, if you steal from other people, you're not going to be able to love them. That's not love. That's going to break up a relationship. It's going to leave the estrangement. You're not going to be able to talk to them, right? And all of the commandments is about learning how to love. That's the point of it. All right? That's the purpose of it. <clears throat> um, 
you know, our, the framers of our Constitution said that, you know, that we're uh, a Declaration of Independence, that every person is, has a innate, uh, God-given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Jesus says the starting point for that pursuit is love. It's loving others. All right, I want to tie this into family. <clears throat> a few things here that I think are real important. We want to be happy. Happiness comes through relationship. Um, <clears throat> But the most, uh, what we need to understand is that the most significant and influential relationships that we have are family. All right? It's friends are great, coworkers are great, all of those are, are, are important and they, they vary in their degree. But family generally have the most, uh, influence in your level of happiness. And family are the hardest to love, right? And this this statement often sometimes takes people by surprise, and sometimes they don't believe it. But let me tell you, it's true. Okay, your family members are the hardest to love, and I'll, I'll easily, I'll quickly explain to you why I think that's true. Uh, huh? I've met your family. <laughs> <laughs> That is the best response I've ever had. I've shared this in many contexts. I've never had anybody say, <laughs> you're right, because you've met my parents. No. <laughs> Family's hardest to love. <clears throat> All right. So if you have a friend and they have some things you don't like about them, you know that you can be with this friend for a few hours, maybe a few days, and then you're going to be gone. Right? If you have a coworker, that coworker's got problems. They're their problems. They're not your problems. Because at the end of the day, they go home and they have their problems and you can go home. Right? But if you go home and you got problems at home, guess what? They're your problems. <laughs> you can't just walk away from them. Right? And sometimes they last for years. Right? Decades. Because that person, you know, or you fall in love. You think, oh, this person's great. They love me. I love them. We have so much in common. Life's going to be great together, right? And then you, you, you do life together, and pretty soon you find out, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> when you really get to know your spouse, and you find out, oh, there's stuff about them. They're real people, right? And real people and all people have good things and have bad things. And that family member, you're committed to love. Even your kids, right? I love every one of my kids. But every one of my kids have some things that kind of irritate me, right? But I can't just cut them out of my life. It would ruin my happiness. And so family are the hardest to love because there's a demand that you have to face the problems, that exists in the relationship. But that means they have family relationships have the greatest potential for joy. Right? As well as for pain. It's just like an investment. An investment that has the greatest potential for reward also has the greatest risk for loss. Is it right? Okay. Well, it's the same true in a relationship issue because of these relationships have the greatest potential for returning joy into your life. They have built in that risk.
that if there's a brokenness, it's going to hurt you deeper than any other. You lose a friend, uh. you lose a spouse, uh. you know, it hurts a lot, lot deeper. And that's the way it's meant to be. OK, that's the it's that's an important thing. And even I, 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 I know quite a few people that have never met their biological family. They were orphaned and they were adopted or they were raised to the foster care system. And even for people like them, often it's the longing for that connection with the natural family that just dominates their uh, inner peace and their inner joy. It's connected to their happiness. Why? Because that's the way we're built. And family relationships shape every other relationship. So how you interacted with your parents, how your parents interacted with each other, how your siblings interacted with you, it shapes your identity and your personhood that then shapes every other relationship with you. Now, the, the good news is, is that God comes along and there's there's healing, there's power, there's freedom to bring healing into the areas where we may have lacked as uh, in, our, in our family of origin. All right. But the, the point that I'm making today is just the truth that, listen, family relationships have the greatest potential of producing joy and happiness. And that means we should sow into that. We should invest into our spouses, into our children, into our parents, into our siblings, okay? Uh, significantly, and understand that, that, that our happiness is related to their happiness uh, to the degree that we can. You know, I do understand that uh, uh, sometimes you can do as much as you, as you are able and still not be able to bring restoration, uh, but we're called to, to sow into that. And God wants your family to be happy. Here's another uh, illustration of this. And I'm just going to do a, like a two-minute summary of the whole story of the Bible. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm going to do it. It begins with a man, his wife, and their kids, doesn't it? Right? And the wife's thinking, what are we going to have for supper? <clears throat> you know, It was in the context of a husband and wife. And food that sin entered into the world. And that, that bad decision to do something that was forbidden in the context of a man and his wife influenced their kids, didn't it? And you know what? The whole story of the Bible is about their kids and their kids, their descendants all the way through. Uh, and it continues right up to the New Testament where Jesus, God himself, decides and, uh, to actually inject himself as God into that family story. The story of the human family. And so God becomes man because that's the only way that this family can be rescued. All right? <clears throat> and through Jesus entering into the human story, becoming man, taking upon himself all of the uh, guilt and the sin of mankind on the cross, he then enables uh, adoption for every man, woman, and child on planet Earth, that we can be rejoined to the human family with God as Father. That's the message of the Bible. And it ends with a wedding celebration of Jesus being uh, united with His bride to live happily ever after in paradise. Right back where it began. 
right? So the whole Bible is really a family story. It's a very deep, complex family story, but that's, that's the message. Now, if that's true in the big scope, this, is, this applies to you. It applies to your family. God wants your family, God wants happiness to fill your family and to fill your life. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the Bible's filled with stories of families that go through tragedy and difficulty. And those stories are meant to encourage us that God can deal with whatever family issue your family is dealing with. There's, there's probably not a single family issue uh, that isn't dealt with in Scripture because God deals with some of the worst. And even Jesus' story, Jesus came as the pregnancy of a teenage unmarried girl. You know, not the best circumstances. Why? Because he inserts himself. God isn't afraid to get into the middle of the mess. That's why he came. Because he's the one that can take on that mess and redeem you, redeem me, redeem whatever situation, whatever family uh, uh, struggle might be going on. He has the power to redeem it. Through forgiveness that's obtained by Jesus dying on the cross, happiness can be found in every family situation. And if it can be applied into the family situation, which is the most difficult, it can be applied to friends, it can be applied to co-workers, it can be applied to every other who relationship that you have. All right, so God wants your family to be happy. In order for this to work in your life, you need to believe it. And a lot of people still... You know, maybe it's because you've heard so many messages or you read the Bible and you just think that God's angry. Listen, God is not angry. God wants you to be happy and he wants your family to be happy. And with God, nothing is impossible. It may seem out of reach for some of you. And listen, every family is broken in some way. They may seem perfect, you know, on the outside. I hear this all the time. People come to our churches and they come for a while and then they say, I just don't feel, I don't feel like I fit in here. And I'll say, well, why? And it's, well, everybody else here is so spiritual. I'm like, I literally sometimes go, <laughs> I guess you need to stick around longer. <laughs> you know, because there's people here or someone will come with a, a serious family problem. You know, this is happening. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, I thought it was going to be something harder. And they'll look at me like I'm joking. I'm like, no, I'm like, seriously, this is, this, I'm sorry, but that's just a normal marriage, okay? Or that's a normal, that's a normal thing to deal with a teenage person, you know? That's just a common struggle of life. And you know what? There's hope, you know? <clears throat> um, God, Jesus conquered death to demonstrate that nothing can keep him down. And if, if we follow him and, and, and are his disciple, he can bring healing and forgiveness and restoration and actual joy and happiness uh, into your family experience, into whatever relationship that you have. Okay, we're going to end with this. There's a few steps <clears throat> to uh, applying happiness or an increase. You know, wherever you're at, God wants it to increase. He wants your level of abundant life to increase. Uh, you have to believe it. <clears throat> you also have to realize things aren't going to change in a day. 
Some things can change immediately. You can embrace the truth from God and it can change the way you think. It can change the way you act. But generally, when it comes to relationship, it takes consistently behaving in a different way in the long term to bring about change. And maybe that other person that is robbing you or limiting your happiness needs to change. Or maybe you need to change. Most likely in that relationship, we all know the answer is we both. You both need to change. That makes you happy. It just made you happier, didn't it? <laughs> it does take it. You know, you can only, you can change someone. They need to change. You both need to change. <clears throat> so think of a relationship, or think of an area that, boy, if that relationship, you know, was better, I'd be happier. You can think of, boy, if I had a new car, it'd be nice. But it doesn't really make you long-term happy. But if you have a broken relationship and that changes, uh, it would make you happier. All right, so can you just, just for a minute right now try to think? And if nothing comes up, maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's nothing in your life. Maybe you can think of, you know, someone that's important to you that's going through a difficult time. And you don't have to think long to find someone that's going through a really difficult time relationally. Well, let's take that thing and hold it up before the Lord. Right now, let's just, can you stand up? <clears throat> that, that relationship. Any relationship. You know, if you think, if you still think a thing is keeping you from being happy, then you need to go listen to Andy Stanley say this message because he'll convince you. <laughs> it's not a what, it's the who. So let's just hold up. This is church. I believe, you know, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, I will be there in your midst. That means that Jesus Christ is in this room right now in a very real way. Now, if he just supernaturally opened our eyes so that we could see him with our physical eyes, we would probably respond differently than we're responding right now. Right? And so that's a step of faith to believe that Jesus wasn't lying when he said, when you're gathered in my name, I'll be, I'll be present with you. I believe to the core of my being that Jesus is standing right in this room right now as real as real can be. Okay? Because we're gathered in his name and we've asked him to come. I've spent a lot of time praying. Lots of people have been praying. We've spent time worshiping. We're here for Him. All right. Jesus wants to reach out and insert Himself into that relationship that's broken and bring forgiveness and bring peace and bring hope so that you can be happier and so that that person can be happy or whoever the relationship is that's broken. And so just lift that up to Him right now. Just in your, in your heart, just yield that to him and say, Jesus, I need help. You know, it's not about us learning how to be better so that we get a better result. We want to be better because we love God and we want to represent him. But we need supernatural intervention. The law, just being told what to do and what not to do, isn't enough to change to bring about redemptive change. Jesus had to come and become part of the family. And so He has to come and become part of your family 
You need supernatural help. Help beyond your ability to bring about change. And, and, and it's available right here, right now, in this room. And if you've never, you know, the most important who to have in your life is Jesus Christ. And if you've never made real relationship commitment to Him, if you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now in your heart. And so, so let's just say, say, Father. I'll say, Father. Father. I bring this brokenness. And I bring all brokenness in my life. I bring the broken relationships in my life and the lives of those I love. And I lay them at the cross. And Jesus, I ask You to come into those relationships and bring restoration, bring healing, bring hope, bring happiness in Jesus' name. I believe you can do it because you rose from the dead. You are Lord. You are my Lord. And I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have some folks that are available to pray for you.